Welcome to episode 43 of the A Free Spirit Life Podcast. Hey there, thanks so much for being here today. I'm Shannon Kinney Du, holistic life and spiritual coach and yoga and meditation teacher, also a Reiki practitioner, and I am so excited to be here with you today. Before I get into this episode, I want to share one amazing podcast review I just recently received. This person says, thank you so much for your latest podcast on slowing down. She's referring to the podcast episode 42 with Mazen Miller. I don't think any podcast has ever spoken to me so directly and clearly. I am totally going to have my family listen to it because I feel it is it is exactly who I am and I think that they would have a better understanding of who I am listening to it. Also, the guest speaker and her relationship with her daughter reminds me so much of my relationship with my daughter and many of the comments that her daughter has made, like, Mom, you can get out of my room now. That is exactly the words that my daughter has said to me numerous times. So thank you. I listened to this whole episode while I was out riding my bike in the beautiful woods. It couldn't have been a more perfect afternoon. Thank you, Shannon, for all you do and the wonderful person you are. You are truly changing people's lives. P.S. I am writing this through tears. Well, thank you so very much for your review. It just, that kind of feedback makes me continue doing what I'm doing. Um, So rewarding to hear from you all. If you'd like to share how this podcast is affecting your life, you can leave me a review on iTunes. Go to A Free Spirit Life and subscribe to the podcast. Leave us a review. It would be so wonderful to hear from you. Or you can email me privately, shannon at afreespiritlife.com. Okay, I am so excited to bring you this interview today. This is another archived episode from my Mindful Mama movement. It is with my very favorite author, Katrina Kennison. Katrina has written several books, my favorite being The Gift of an Ordinary Day. I just pulled it out yesterday, and I'm planning to reread the entire thing. It is about her raising her children, and she has already, as she calls it in the interview, launched her children into the world. She has two boys. But her writing is specifically about the time when she was raising her children and how often she had to remind herself to slow down, to savor the everyday moments in life. So if you're feeling that you might be rushing through life, that you are checking off the to-do list and you forget that this life of ours is zooming past us. And really the true gift of life comes in those ordinary everyday moments. That's what this episode is about. It's absolutely beautiful. I've re-listened to it a few times and I cry every time. She's just so honest and she shares about what she misses about raising her children and what she loves now about being with her adult children. It's a beautiful, beautiful conversation that we first recorded about three years ago. You're going to hear that I recorded this episode with my friend Ashley when we used to do the Mindful Mama Movement podcast. So you'll hear both of us doing this interview today. I can't wait to share it with you. So let's hop right in. Enjoy the show. So we are here with Katrina Kennison. Can you share just a little bit about who you are, where you live, what you do, and what stage of motherhood you're in? Sure. Um, Well, I am a mom, and I'm a mom who has been writing about motherhood for, oh, Oh my goodness, 20 years. <laughs> um, so I guess you can tell from that statement what stage of motherhood <laughs> I'm in. I have two boys, and my youngest one just turned 24 on Tuesday, and my older one is about to turn 27. So I'm in that um, they're launched phase, although there are still so many unanswered questions about both of their life paths. And so, you know, I, I just observe and watch and 
um, get updates with such joy and excitement and sometimes worry as they kind of find their ways. Um, and where I live, I, I'm sitting right now in my little office in my house in New Hampshire. It's on the top of a hill and, uh, all the leaves are down from the trees here. So it's looking pretty wintry, although it's unseasonably warm and beautiful today. Mm, That's nice. I was in Boston last week and, um, for the first time, I had never been in that part of the country, Boston, New Hampshire area, and the leaves were looking like they were all getting ready to fall, but they were all golden and yeah. orange, and every single street I drove down just looked like the perfect yeah, fall it's, day. It's been an amazingly beautiful fall here, and um, and this house, it's a house that we built um, sort of toward the end of our Kids at Home chapter. Um, so silly of us, you know, it's like, even though our kids were growing up, we couldn't quite imagine life without them. And so we built this house complete with, you know, a bedroom for each one and a TV room. And, um, of course, little, no sooner had we finished the house than they were up and gone, (laughs) (laughs) but it's a nice place for them to come home to. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like my parents still need as much space as they did because we all come home and then there's grandkids too. So that's, and they take up space. Um, How do you spend your time these days? And what is it that inspires you right now? Well, it's been, it's been a really intense couple of years, I would say. Um, I had a friend who was uh, dying of a brain tumor and a really, really close friend. She had been the kindergarten teacher of both of my sons Um, And so we have been on this journey together for well over 20 years. And when she got sick, um, I was the one who did not have a nine to five job and I didn't have kids at home who needed me. So I was really able to be there with her through her journey. And it was actually quite an amazing privilege to to walk her home. Mm-hmm. Um, so that that was really 18 months. And there were a lot of really good days in there, like days where she could go swimming, days where she could ride her horse or take a walk. Um, always, you know, would have to be really careful. But she was vi- she very much wanted to just enjoy her life for as long as she could. And she did. And talk about inspiring. Um, every moment that I spent with her, was inspiring, but I also put everything aside for that mm-hmm. time. Um, and then I very quickly, uh, after her death, um, had two hip replacements. So I, even though I was thought I was way too young for that and in way too good a shape, that um, that was the explanation of the chronic pain I'd have had for the last two years. So it was like death pain, two surgeries in a row and recovering from those surgeries, which I used that time of recovering to put together my new book, Moments of Seeing, um, because life really handed me a good opportunity to just sit down and be still other than doing PT exercises. Right. Um, so, so those were two kind of intense chapters and then I was feeling better and really determined to get my strength back and to become that really physical person I still think of myself as being. Um, so I started training, getting ready to take a group of women to England, which I did in September, and I led a hiking trip oh, wow. in the Cotswolds, uh, something I had never done before, but it's been on my bucket list forever is to take one of those long walks where you set out in the morning and then you end up someplace else at night and there's your bag waiting for you and you sleep there and get up in the morning and walk on. So I think one thing that my my friend's um, illness really reminded me is that those things that you always dream of doing, don't wait, just start. So so this year has been really busy with things like that. I've led a writing retreat. Um, I've deepened my yoga practice. 
and on the walk and at the writing retreat, I also taught yoga every day. So after, after some time of really kind of going in and, you know, being with someone who is ill, this has been a really expansive time of, you know, being out in the world, challenging myself to do really new things. Mm. That's wonderful. Can we sign up for your next retreat? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's lovely. Well, I'm curious, have you always been a writer? You capture the books that I've read, I just treasure. And I, I feel like I know you, like I know so much about your life and what you've shared. And I'm curious if you've always been that way, really self-reflective and in especially sharing it through writing, or did that happen more as you became a mother? I I have always been a writer and a reader, um, both hand in hand. So as a child, I wrote a lot, diaries, poems, letters, um, I actually was helping my parents clean out their house uh, in preparation for selling it and downsizing to a little cottage right near us. And they had lived there for almost 50 years. I found the first thank you note that anyone ever wrote me. And it was from our next door neighbor when I was a little girl. And she had been hospitalized. And my dad used to bring home these little tiny notebooks from I guess the printer who did some of his work for him or something. And anyway, I had been inspired by this little tiny notebook to write my next door neighbor a novel, which I had completely forgotten about until Mm -hmm. I found her thank you note Mm -hmm. written all these years ago, thanking me for the novel that I had written her and sent her. And the memory did come back that since it was a very small notebook, I had written a novel about a very tiny bear. Um, oh. my first Your novel. first novel. <laughs> my only novel. Um, <laughs> but then after college, I worked in publishing for all through my 20s. Um, and then when I became a mom, I also became the editor of the Best American Short Stories, which was a great gig because I could do it from home. Mm-hmm. Um, and I get paid to read. So I feel like all of those years in publishing and all of those years editing and reading, um, they made me a better writer. They made me a slower writer because the editor that I was for so many years, I can't quash her down. She's always sitting there reading over my shoulder, um, telling me that I should make it better. (laughs) Editing. When did you write your first book? So my first one was Mitten Strings for God, mm-hmm. and that came out in 2000. Mm-hmm. Um, and I had spent the previous probably two years writing it. Um, and I had never really thought of myself as a writer, as an adult. Um, but beca- becoming a mother, um, you know, really made me think, as it does all of us, like, well, what kind of mother do I want to be? What kind of culture do we want to have in our family? What matters to me? And realizing that it was up to me to kind of create that from whole cloth and also feeling a little bit out of step with the culture at large and sensing that that do more, better, faster, more activities, um, more enrichment, more acquisition, more stuff, more busyness. It was so not my impulse as a mother. What I really wanted to do was just hold my children close and and enjoy them as children. So mm. I began to write partly out of an exploration for myself. And I think the writing fed my mothering. And of course, my mothering fed the writing. And they went together. Mm. I love that out of Step with the culture. That's a really lovely way to say that. I. That's probably why I just adore you so much. <laughs> I feel like kindred spirit. We're shaking our heads. Like, mm. yeah. yeah, feels familiar. What's really amazing is that that little book. Um, it lives on in the world, and there's a whole new generation of very young mothers finding it today. And of course, when I wrote that book. There were no cell phones. There was no Facebook. 
we weren't all peering into screens all the time. I mean, it was it was written in a different world. Yes. So in a way, it's more urgently needed than ever. But I also sometimes think I should update it because the moms who are reading it now are living even more challenging lives. Mm, yes. Your next book. We need it. <laughs> Revised edition. Yeah. Well, one thing I do love about the way you share in your writing is you're so authentic and you're honest. Uh, I love how you capture, you know, just the different stages that you went through with your own family. And I'm always curious, not only I think that would be a gift for your family to have, to see how, you know, the process that you went through and for you to have those memories really put into a book, but also I'm curious how your friends and family have felt over the years about you writing about them. Yeah, that's, it's a really good question. And of course, it's one that I wrestle with all the time. So when the kids were little and I was writing Mitten Strings, um, they were just at that point, these two adorable little pre-reading characters, you know, mm-hmm. it was it was easy to write about them and to write about them so lovingly. And I didn't really worry about it. Um, but then of course they grew up and writing The Gift of an Ordinary Day, in which I write about some pretty um, dark moments of mothering teenagers and some just tough stuff. So with that one, I felt like everybody's got to have their shot at this manuscript before I send it off to the publisher. So I gave it to my sons to read and my husband. Um, My son, Jack, decided he wasn't that interested. He didn't read it. My son, Henry, who's a little older, read it and made a couple of very small corrections. You know, I said something about the World Series, and he said, no, that was just postseason playoff games, Mom. <laughs> you know the stuff your boy would catch. Uh, yeah. Do you mean to say this <laughs> My husband reading it, um, I think his reaction was a little complicated because suddenly he found our private family life turned into a narrative. And one of his early responses was, well, anyone reading this would think that you were a single mother. Like, I'm not really in here. And that gave rise to quite an interesting conversation. And what I what I kind of had to say to him was, this isn't actually a book about our marriage. This is a book about me as, as a mother mm-hmm. and these boys that I'm mothering and a book about our family or about our marriage would be a really different book. And I think that is something just worth saying about memoir in general, is that if you're going to write a memoir, it can't, it can't be a laundry basket in which you throw every dirty sock. You know, it's like mm-hmm. you kind of have to figure out what story you're telling and then what goes into that memoir is what serves the story. And so I was telling a, a story about myself and the, the realization I was going through that our family life was about to change drastically and that two children, two parents all living under one roof, you know, it comes to an end for all of us. We all re- realize it in a different way at a different time. And, and then we grapple with that. And for me, there was so much of a desire to hold on tight to every precious moment, even though I knew that my job was to let them go. And so the writing became a way to kind of do both of those things at once, to preserve some of those last moments by writing them down, and also to do the inner work on myself that would supposedly prepare me for the moment when they did grow up and leave. So that was kind of the narrative of the story as well as the inevitable changes that just, you know, you want life to just be as it is and change is really the only thing that we can be certain of. And so we have to learn to ride those waves of change. So my husband did not figure it in there some, but it was, it was about the emotional growth that I was going through, not, the two of us as a couple quite so much. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. It does. Yes, that's beautiful. Um, but if you want to go back to your question about 
my boys, um, you know, now they're much older. And there was a time, um, actually, when The Gift of an Ordinary Day came out, and Jack picked up the book and saw that I had written about the little period where he wore the same black sweatshirt to school every single day. And I finally hid the sweatshirt and had a big fight about it. He was appalled and he said, I can't believe that you put that into a book. And I said, well, you did have a chance to read it. And he yeah. said, well, everyone's going to think I was a goth when I was in seventh grade. <laughs> By that point, he would not be caught dead in a black sweatshirt. He was wearing bright orange T-shirts. And so that's another thing is like what gets written down stays in print. So life yeah. moves on and on and on. But that little moment of his life is forever captured now as an anecdote for better and for worse. Mm -hmm. um, but what I, I have to say, I was so proud of my son last winter um, when he told me that he was going to write a Facebook post about his addiction and how he had, um, he had quit smoking pot and he was sober and, and he showed me the post and I thought, wow, are you sure you really want to put that out there? Because once you do, you know, everyone's going to read it. And he said, yeah, it's, it's not, I don't want it to be a secret. I want everyone to know. And I was really proud of him. And then, you know, after he had a couple of months of sobriety under his belt and was going to meetings, I asked him how he would feel if I wrote about that. And this boy who had once said, don't ever write about me again, said, you can write whatever you want. He said, I trust you. And if my story can help one other person, it will be worth it. Isn't that amazing as a mom just um, to witness so visibly personal growth in your child? Uh, it, absolutely. Absolutely. Wow. And I... We are so proud of him, and I also am so grateful to him because by being so upfront about it himself, it's made it easy for all of us to talk about it. There's no pretense. Mm -hmm. It's just pride and joy and love. And like, you're on your path, and wow. we're excited for you. And, and of course, telling a story does always open a space for someone else to tell a story and and for healing to happen. Yes. I mean, that's what I've admired about your writing is your courage to tell it like it is, you know, and to really open and be vulnerable. And, you know, you've done that here full circle in a way. It's like, wow, he's being even more vulnerable than you were, you yeah. know, wondering. And it's like you both are kind of helping each other. Yeah. Open exactly. up. That's really cool. Well, I want to read something from The Gift of an Ordinary Day. You wrote, It is always a relief to be reminded that my job is not to control or judge or change my son, but simply to help him remember with words and touch who he really is. Which kind of ties into what you were just saying. I think about all the moms that are listening in our community. Uh, many of them are in all different stages of motherhood, but a lot of them are in that thick of raising young children. Um, what tips do you have for those moms who are, are right there who need some mindful parenting guidance, like, you know, to, to not control so much, but to mm -hmm. be more present with your children? Yeah, yeah. Um, Ooh, so much to say about this. <laughs> well, one thing, two things I'll start with. One is that if I had it to do over again myself, I think I would be even more conscious of the language that I use with my children. And I'm a, I'm a language person anyway, but I think it's so easy for us to fall into a pattern of praising our children um, and I don't actually think that does them any good what what our kids need most is to be seen rather than mm -hmm. praised and I think there's a real important distinction to be made there um, you know you could say oh you you did the best report in the class when in fact I think 
it's even more important to say something to the effect of, I saw how hard you worked at that report. How does it make you feel to know that you can work that hard? Or how do you feel about the results of your work? Or do you get the distinction that I make? Yes, yes, yes. It's so powerful. Um, and seeing, and then not only seeing, but then asking the child how they feel about it. Because I think praise is sort of end of discussion kind of stuff. And it, it puts a weight on a kid. Who wants that? You know, to be the best once, does that mean I have to always be the best? Or since I'm the best, does that mean that I don't have to try this hard? Um, when instead to really honor the process, whatever it is, and then to find out how the child, him or herself, feels about the results. I think uh, it's brilliant, Katrina, honestly, so much. Um, my oldest is 22, my youngest is 12, and I, you know, just on my journey of being a mother, um, my thoughts of mothering are so different yeah. than they were, you know, with my oldest, even probably in preparation for college for him, um, that I will, I will with the other children do so much that's different. Um, so much that's different. I just, yeah. um, I, I love what you're saying. And we have a lot of um, all age, you know, moms that are listeners to our podcast, but a lot of young moms. And I wish I would have heard what you just said 21 years ago. Yeah. Um, yeah. I wish it so yeah. much. Me that too. It's me so clear too. to me. If only we could all get do-overs. Mm -hmm. But I think that's why sometimes it is so helpful to hear um, when you're right in the thick of it with your own small children to hear from someone who's kind of looking back and says, oh, if only I could. Um, and there's no sense in regret, but you can certainly reach a hand back to someone who's who's doing it in the here and now and saying, well, if I had another chance. Um, and I just think of times where I could see one of my children struggling and talk about a do-over. What I would wish I could do now, looking back, is to say something like, I see how hard this is for you, rather mm -hmm. than, maybe even rather than, I know you can do it, say, I know you're giving it your all, you know, mm -hmm. because maybe they can't do it, but they mm -hmm. can give their all. And anyone giving their all, that's enough, you know? Yes. So a real sensitivity to language and, and any, I think, taking away language that is about praise or even attachment to outcome. And I feel like that's another big one um, is... I know I, I tend as a person myself to get a little bit too attached to outcome. And when we practice non-attachment, it's not about loving less. It's, it's about having faith that the way things are is the way that they're meant to be. And what a great lesson for our kids too. It's like things aren't going to turn out the way you want them to. The real challenge is to be okay with the way things are. And that's called equilibrium. And of course, we want that for our children. So attachment to outcome, if in our parenting, we can kind of let go of that and really learn to be with things as they are and model that for our kids. So that's... that's mm, well, that's a, such a freeing statement when you yeah. think of it, really like let it soak in that you know, any decision we have to make about our children, whether it's, you know, what school to go to or right. what to eat for dinner, anything, right? you know, can be so overwhelming if you allow it to. And you think that your decision is a make or break for their right. life, you know? <laughs> right. And so to hear you say, you know, first of all, what stands out is just the, the phrase, be seen. Mm -hmm. You know, I look at my, my oldest um and I'm noticing he's he's eight going on nine and he's getting like consumed by the Pokemon world right now. And 
I just see a shift happening, kind of that shift of from younger, <laughs> you know, he's questioning all the traditions of the holidays and stuff. It's like it's just that shift that's really happening right now for us. And he's trying to grow his hair out longer and he kind of wants to be hidden a little bit. And I just, yeah. oh, I, I know. That yes. just me goosebumps to hear you just. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm glad I'm not alone because I hope that others, you know, it's just, it really, but, but the thing is, it's like, yeah, not attaching. Like I want to, you want to keep them young and we, and we can't. And I want him to cut those bangs. Right. I showed him who cousin it was on, on the Adam's <laughs> family because yeah. they're going, he wants him down to his mouth pretty, you know, but right. it's like, so we're, that's where we are. And, um, but when I look at him, God, he's got that smile and those eyes look at me and he's looking, he's saying, I just want to be seen. Yeah. And he looks at me. Yeah. And for me to say, you know, to detach from whatever the choices we make, right. Right. there's no perfect one, but I can trust and I can have faith that right. it's unfolding as it needs to. That's exactly. just and, freeing. And, you yeah. know, letting go, we have to do it as parents. We actually have to do it in every area of our life, throughout our life. But I think in no area does it feel like there's more at stake than with our kids. Mm-hmm. And as you say, it requires this deep trust in the universe and a deep trust in kind of the whole meaning and purpose of existence. Like There is more to our children than we can possibly know, so much more than meets the eye. And if they can feel our faith in them and their, our faith in their journeys, um, I think we give them a gift because no kid wants to feel like their parents are worried about them or yes. afraid that they can't do it or not, that they're not up to the task of growing up to become fully functioning, healthy, happy adults. Yes. Yeah. And in, in, I, as you describe your son, you know, I remember Jack at that age growing out his hair, um, sort of obsessed with a few different things, wearing that black sweatshirt. You know, it seemed like yes. everything he said or did was kind of well, indif- ours is green. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And we were living with my parents at that stage because we were <sighs> building our house. And so part of it was me being a daughter under my parents' watchful eyes with a son who was clearly, you know, in a kind of a defiant state and watching his hair grow longer and longer and watching my parents watch me try to deal with it just added another layer of stress. But it was my mom who said to me, you know, pick your battles. He's not going to want his hair like that forever. And I was so sure that they must be judging me for not making him get a haircut. And actually, I think they were judging me a little bit for being so attached to wow yeah right I think anyone can relate to that like I I I mentioned this to you before we recorded that your book the gift of an ordinary day because that's where I'm at right now is um I'm crying because I I relate to what you're saying I'm feeling it I see myself going through it I see a lot of my oldest son and in your son and Mm -hmm. and I but I remember specifically you sharing that you know, I can imagine what that would feel like living with your parents because you already have this like, oh, are they judging me? And so I can imagine that was a healing thing for you too to see that your parents are accepting of, you know, yeah. It was so helpful because then I was able to step back. Of course, my mom being, being my mom, she's got a much longer view than I had at that moment. And I wanted him to wear certain clothes to school and to get that haircut. And she could see, you know, in the big, in the big scheme of things, this really doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. Well, just, um, and I, I she's just also got the years. There's, Go I think our kids want to be seen and also they're so vulnerable. So yes. the long hair and the sweatshirt, it's, partly a protection against the big world out there that they suddenly feel like I'm not sure I'm ready for that world, you know? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Isn't it? um, Yeah. I'm just creating a little safety, little Mm. safety bubble with my hair and my big bulky sweatshirt. Yes. Well, my oldest was the, um, 
the one who didn't want to come out. <laughs> you know, it took two days for him to really enter the world. And I really see how each birth is related to their personality, but he definitely is always on his timing. Yeah. And that is what he's taught me is yeah. that, you know, and so I'm glad we're talking about this so I can lay off on his hair. <laughs> he's going to be so happy. And but my older son, Henry, that's been his path too, is everything came so much later. Yes. And accompanied by so much worry on our part because he didn't walk until he was almost two years old. And then he was diagnosed with, you know, low muscle tone and sensory integration dysfunction. And I just have to laugh looking back mm-hmm. when to the time that we were told that he could never function in a regular classroom and he'd always need an aide at his side and he had asthma and none of which was true. He just was going to move at a slower pace and he's all grown up and he's been, he was an honor student at college and he's incredibly competent and organized and living in New York city and about to start working in a bookstore. And he's been on tour with Broadway musicals and he's doing oh, fine. Wow. You know? He's doing all right. Yeah. Um, just that being said, do you feel that motherhood gets harder as your children get older or just different? Definitely different. It, it's, it is harder during the adolescent years in a different way. You know, when, when the children are young, um, the physical demands on us are profound and unrelenting. And then that gives way to the emotional co- complexity of the adolescent years. I mean, you're not carrying those kids around in your arms anymore, but you're carrying them in your heart, (laughs) Um, which is just as challenging because you enter that stage where you have to let them go and you know that all the love in the world can't keep them safe. You know, when they're young, um, barring medical catastrophes and you know acts of god you feel like it's your job to protect them but then you send them out into the world and that's not your job anymore so i think that's a really hard hard passage i think it's a, i have three boys in adolescence right now 12 13 and 14 and um i am, um i would say that the emotional demands are so interesting. Yeah. And maybe because I have a 22-year-old, then eight years later had three kids in two and a half years. And um, so I just, it was easier to give him all of my attention where these three, you know, that I just have to divide it. But um, for me, of all four boys, my youngest is... I don't know if I would say struggling, but just his adjustment to adolescence and having a little bit mm-hmm. more freedom. And um, he has a phone um, that. Um, and probably he, your 22 year old didn't have a phone at that age, right? Oh, gosh, no. But, he, you know, he also didn't have as much freedom. Yeah. You know, that he was, you know, I was just driving him around and, you know, still making play dates, probably. I don't know. Um, but my my youngest um I feel like he kind of without saying it is saying I'm not ready to be in seventh grade, kind of. I'm not ready to be a 12-year-old by his actions. And my other kids just really weren't like that. That They just kind of moved into the next stage um, a little bit easier. So it's – I mean, I think it's really interesting being a mom for all these years. And I – just last night, my husband and I went to bed literally like in tears together that we had a hard day with our 12-year-old. And I said, I just think it's kind of crazy. I'm still learning yeah. a lot about mothering right now. From each child, I, mm-hmm. I do believe that every child has a whole different curriculum for us. You know, <laughs> my two boys each taught me a different curriculum. Um, but it sounds like with your 12-year-old, there's a lot of opportunity for reassurance and for that non-attachment, which could be really helpful for him too. Like where he is is okay and he can take his time. And there are some things that he, that 
there just can't be discussion about, but other things that can be negotiated. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's an interesting evolution. We both just took a pause last night. I'm like, why don't you go take a shower? Yeah. I'm going to make a cup of tea. Yeah. Yeah. One thing that I found helpful with Jack, my younger, who would be, get very emotional. Um, and I being kind of an emotional person myself would find myself being sucked in. And so like his disaster scenarios, my life is always going to be terrible. And, um, (laughs) and he would, you know, weep and cry and to, to right up through adolescence, he would, you know, just kind of fall apart in despair. And when he did, then I would despair right along with him. Mm -hmm. And I finally learned a much better technique, which was to stay really calm and to say, oh, I can see how upset you are. Well, we can both take comfort from the fact that we don't need to figure it out right now. You don't need to figure out the rest of your life right now. All you need to do is like figure out the next half an hour. And I think what I need now is to take a half hour break and go take a run. And then we'll talk more when I get back. And inevitably, I would go out, have a run, come back. He'd be fine. What I learned was that I could sit there and, you know, let him go on and on and on. And he would do it endlessly until we were both exhausted. Or we could do that for a little while. And I would say, yeah, all right, well, let's take a break. And, you know, we can pick this up again in a few minutes. And by then he would have moved on. Um, Interesting. Yeah. So to to just kind of keep that equilibrium yourself, even when your children aren't feeling it they they're going to take their emotional cues from you oh my well, mom's not that freaked out even though i'm falling apart so you know maybe it's not that bad yeah um what do you love the most about having adult children and what do you miss the most about raising young children oh i miss so much and i absolutely love my adult children <laughs> yeah um, oh my goodness Well, what I love about who they are now is how they can challenge me intellectually and do. Um, So I feel like I have to stay up on things, music and different political viewpoints. And, you know, Jack is telling me, how long has it been since you've read 1984? Mom, you just should read it again and then we can have a conversation (laughs) about politics. Um, and Henry is like sending me stuff back and forth. Like, haven't you read Frank Bruni's piece in the times from yesterday? And, um, I so love I just love They're that keeping they, you hip. <laughs> oh, and they're really my intellectual peers. Yes. So to have that kind of relationship is fabulous. And also that as these young men, I love that they trust me as someone that they can really talk their problems over with and that I'm the first person they call when something good happens and when something bad happens. Um, So I love knowing that I'm really part of their inner circle of celebration and support. Um, In fact, when Jack, I think he hit when he was six months sober, he made a little post on Facebook and he named his closest friends who have really been his circle of support through those first months of sobriety. And he included my name in there. And I just, for my 23 year old son to call me out on Facebook, is like, I couldn't have done this without my mom. That's great. Um, so yeah, lots, lots to love. Um, and lots to miss. And I can look at a picture of my two little boys as little boys and just my eyes will fill up with tears because how I would love to just have them in my arms again and smell them and feel their soft little cheeks against my cheeks. I think I miss the physical stuff of motherhood and also um, just the intimacy of family life of having them tucked in their beds right down the hall and waking up in the middle of the night and just knowing we're all there sleeping and breathing under the same roof. Um, I miss family dinners, family breakfasts, watching movies together. I mean, playing outside in the yard. It's 
when it's over, it's really, really over, which I guess is why, um, is why I just encourage mothers at every age to just stay awake, pay attention, be aware of how fleeting it all is. Mm-hmm. Well, that truly is the gift of your work and yeah. your sharing because a lot of what you describe that you miss when you're in the middle of it, it's a lot of the stuff you complain about, you know, and it's the, but it's the same old, same old, the mess and the dinners and the planning and the, but yes, it's sometimes when I even clean the house, which is not regularly, (laughs) when I get that vacuum out, I sometimes will leave a couple Legos like in the corner of the room because I really always try to keep that in mind that, Someday I'm going to miss those Legos there. Yes. yes. I remember my son, Jack, had he was obsessed with board games as a little boy. And he every day he would want me to sit down on the floor and play this board game and that board game. And some of them were sort of fun and some of them were just inane. And, of course, I always had something that I would much rather do than play another board game. And I remember vividly one afternoon when he wanted me to sit on the floor and play Jumpasaurus and I was about to come up with some excuse why I couldn't I just thought someday it will be the last time and I won't ever know when the last time is that he'll ask me to sit down and play a board game and it could be today for all I know and I still get teary just thinking about that Mm -hmm. because I don't remember the last board game that we played together but it was an awfully long time ago. And yeah. I do remember with my oldest the last time that he, like, laid his head in my lap. Oh. And I'll get teary thinking about it. He was um, 15, and he had just gotten cut from the soccer team oh. that he really, really loved. It was his, you know, primary activity, and he loved it so much. And mm-hmm. he nearly collapsed to the ground and he screamed mom oh. and it was like 11 30 at night when they posted it and he just came and lay I mean I'm gonna cry he's um laid his head in my lap and he just laid there for a really long time and that was the last time that his head was in my lap mm-hmm. yeah and those lasts I mean life is full of lasts <laughs> But the lasts are pretty precious because they really are the last, you know. It won't happen again. And um, and I think that's why early childhood, it, it does deserve our full attention and protection of those moments and appreciation of those moments. And if we're just rushing, we miss them. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you for that. Um This is a very tender time in our country and in our world, as we all know. And there's a lot of fear and uncertainty that people are feeling. And I'm just curious what you think, coming from your heart, what mothers and what women can do during this time. Yeah, yeah. Well, I I know this has been front and foremost in all of our minds for the last well, weeks, but certainly for these last days. And um, and I've heard from a lot of moms um, since last Tuesday. One thing I've, I've thought a lot about is how important it is for everyone to really feel their own feelings. And we can't tell anyone else that their grief or anger or relief, for that matter, at and that's the other thing that I have learned is that I can't assume that all the women I know feel the same way about the outcome of the election. Right. Um, but the importance of strengthening our communities, strengthening our relationships with each other, reweaving our connections can't be overstressed because I feel like we're shredded, you know, mm-hmm. we are shredded as a, people and as a country and somehow we have to mend that fabric and um, make it stronger for having been mended so you know one thing is is that when the world feels like it's in chaos um, we can still 
have our own inner peace and maintain a sense of calm in the midst of this sea of unrest. And especially for those of us with children at home, for their sake, we have to do that because our children sense our despair and our stress and fear and tension and, um, and their innocent world deserves protection. So I would say for moms of younger children, everything that you can do to keep your children in the bubble for as long as possible is a good thing. They, they can't really understand what's going on. All they can understand is whether you think it's good or bad. Um, so to just really protect their world and keep them innocent and safe and assure them that they are safe and that the world is a good place is really, really important. Um, but then for the rest of us with older children, I think just to model, well, and younger children too, to model empathy and kindness in every way we can at every opportunity we have. So, and especially empathy that we need to go out of our way a little bit to extend because it's easy to feel empathy and offer empathy toward people that we perceive as being vulnerable and in need of our protection, but to have empathy toward people who are very different and who see things very differently. I mean, that's kind of our human task right now mm-hmm. and our work. And at the same time, as we are going forth and really doing this hard work to take really good care of ourselves and of our own hearts and to, to use a, a phrase of Cheryl Strait's put ourselves in the way of beauty every day I don't think we serve ourselves by reading every heartbreaking, angry, fearful post on Facebook, mm-hmm. which is not to say that they shouldn't be there. I think all those voices need to be part of the chorus, but we have to choose ourselves how much of that is good for us to take in and when we need to just stop and take a bath or a walk or read a, read Mary Oliver's poetry or just restore our own faith in the goodness and beauty of the world. Mm-hmm. We've actually just put out a call to our community. We made a quick graphic just kind of feeling what we were feeling, and uh, we it says, I choose peace and love. And so we asked our moms to just share a photo or a video of anything that is expressing love or goodness in your life, you know, just something that kind of helps spread that ripple of peace. And so we're getting all kinds of pictures, whether they're, you know, helping at Habitat for Humanity or they're just dancing and giggling. Like, you know, it's just we need to see more of that. And so I love that what you said, uh, put, put your self in the way of beauty. Yeah. That's going to stick with me. I yeah. Love that. Yeah. Well, Cheryl Strait said it first, but it stuck with me and it's something that I deliberately do every day. Like so I'll say, Hmm, okay, well, a lot to chew on with that piece I just read, but time for me to go put myself in the way of beauty. Yes. Yes. Okay. Yes. Well, I'm going to start doing that too. <laughs> I know. Shannon does a really good job of doing that. Actually you do. <laughs> Yeah. Well, so what self-care practice do you, I know that you said you, you have a, a yoga practice. Do you have something that you just um, have to do daily? Uh, is it writing or just what's your like reset button for your self-care practice? Um, I wish I could say it's writing. It's really not. Days can go by without writing, but days can't go by without walking outside. I mean, I would say walking outside and doing yoga with beautiful music. I mean, I, I do most of my yoga at home. Um, I have just a little tiny space where I can leave my mat out and a little altar and to put on beautiful music and really claim that space and that time for my practice. That's, that's right at the center of it. Um, and often with a little something to be you know, some beautiful thought to carry with my practice. Um, And also, I would say really staying in touch with my grown children. I feel like a good day is a day when 
I've connected with both of them. And I also have a, I call her my surrogate daughter, um, a young woman that we've just kind of adopted into our family. She's 36, but she needed a mom in her life. And so I became her mom. Um, so I usually touch base with her every day too. And I just feel like having that strong family connection, uh, even though none of them live here is, is self-care for me. Mm, yes, that's good. <laughs> um, can you tell us what does being a mindful mama mean to you? Well, I would say that being a mindful mama, mindful human being, um, I kind of boiled that down just for myself some time ago into a little phrase that's my touchstone. And it's choose love over fear. And certainly it's been applying in these days since the election, but in my parenting, um, especially through the challenging adolescent times when I would just find myself a little at sea or at odds um, or distracted, then to just pause and say, well, in this moment, how can I choose love over fear? And sometimes it would be you know, to walk and knock on a closed bedroom door and just make a connection with the teenager behind that door. Um, sometimes it would be letting go in a way that I didn't really feel comfortable, like, oh, I'm so worried, but if I choose love over fear in this moment, that I'm going to put my faith in my son, that, you know, he can take care of himself, that it's not my job to do that in this moment. So it's, for me, it's something that I can always, turn to that, use it, and figure out what the next thing to do is. I love it. I, um, I think when there is um, a phrase, something that's really simple, but that's our go-to phrase. Go-to, yeah. Yeah, that that, yeah. that can just like get us back on track. Like yeah. we were talking about, like, I need to take a break. I'm going to go for a run. Yeah. That, you know, I choose love over fear, and I'm going to – take a break. Yeah. And, and, you know, like while you're running, like I choose love over fear and then yeah. it gives us so much clarity. Right. Right. And it's kind of a fun challenge to apply the choose love over fear to every situation <laughs> and see how it can work because it, it always does work. And I was, um, I was with a group of women in England hiking, uh, in September leading this group and, we had been working with choose love over fear and two of them got lost and cell phones weren't working. There was no cell phone connection and they had no idea where they were. They were out there and surrounded by sheep in the English countryside. And so when we finally reconnected, they said, well, we weren't afraid. We just said, choose love over fear, choose love over fear. <laughs> so yeah, I find rare, rare is the situation where that's not helpful to me. Right, right. Um, well, we end each show with a mindful mama moment, and it's really just a call to action to our community. Uh-huh. What's one takeaway or mindful action you would like to inspire our mamas to do after listening to your show? Oh, great. Um, well, I'll offer you something that I've been trying to practice this last week in particular, which is to, we were just talking about reweaving this kind of shattered fabric. So I have been deliberately reaching out to people in my life that I have a little rub with, whatever it is. Maybe it's that we've just been out of touch so long that it feels a little awkward to be the first one to reach out maybe because I felt guilty or someone that there's a little hurt or disagreement or anger. And I'm just saying, well, I'm going to be the first. And not only am I going to reach out, but I'm going to put my finger right on that hurt place and do what I can to heal it. So I've made a couple of phone calls in the last few days that were hard. And I was so glad that I made them Um, and had a conversation with my son, Jack, um, that was hard, but it was so good because I kind of went right to the heart of one thing that's been difficult. And I did it in a way of just really letting go of it. So 
that's what I would encourage people to do is like if we're going to strengthen our relationships, um, go right to the places that need strengthening, that need some work. Mm, that's healing. It's that's healing. Yeah. I already have a list just right now, like of all the people I'm going to have to reach out to right now. But it's so like get it's that's what's so amazing about you is getting to that deep you know it's it's inside of us that we can say that we want to be peaceful and loving and um and focus on gratitude but yeah hard but sitting in that hard the stuff we want to ignore or avoid or we're not even realizing we're holding on to it like how healing for us to release that right right yeah and and it's such a relief too and and what I've been finding is the person on the other side is so ready to receive that and to have that connection so I think Mm -hmm. we we create so much of our own suffering you know and it's now we can start to alleviate it by doing hard work yes well, we are getting to a place where we have to wrap up, although I think we could talk to you for hours on end. You've just been... Hey, does, uh, you said that we should pretend we're all in a living room together, and I wish we were. I know. We do, too. <laughs> I'm not joking about signing up for a retreat, so we're going <laughs> to okay. find a way to join you. Um, I want to know about your new book. Can you share about moments of seeing... Uh, reflections from an ordinary life and just share with our community how we can find your books and learn more about you. Yeah, well, this is the book that I never really intended to write. It's all of the essays that have appeared on my website over the last seven years. Um, And to my surprise and pleasure, they actually, they're short pieces, but there is a narrative there of this whole phase of life that we've just been talking about for the last 40 minutes or so. Um, And it's a book that I'm really proud of because these pieces were written in and of the moment. So they're very personal. They're very intimate. Um, In the course of writing them over these years, I came to really trust the readers who would come week after week and then year after year, this kind of community of mothers of all different ages and even some men along the way um, who engaged in this kind of ongoing online conversation generated by the pieces that I wrote about mothering, about friendship, about marriage, loss, aging, you know, all this, all the stuff of life. And um, it's, it's published by my husband's little company, I knew my regular publisher wouldn't want to publish them simply because they had appeared online. Um, But I got to, because I was doing it myself, I got to make the most beautiful book. I got to choose the paper. So I chose really expensive paper that no publisher could ever use. Um, And a beautiful painting done by a local painter for the cover. So every time I pick it up, it just makes me smile. It's beautiful to hold in my hands. And, um, I've been doing readings and so enjoying just sharing it with people. And I don't know if you have time, but I could would love to read like three sentences from a piece. Would that be no, nice? Seriously, we we're we're not joking. We <laughs> we would go for hours. So okay. please, yes. What I'd like to get it is to come to my website. Um, if you just Google Katrina Kennison, that that will bring you to my site. And right there, front and center, there's a little blue box that says "Moments of Seeing." Click here to order. And that brings you to my husband's company's secure website. He publishes beautiful nature identification guides and cards and posters. So he was all set up to do order fulfillment and the orders go out the same day. The books are signed by me. Um, so it's all a, it's kind of a homegrown operation for this book. But here's just a couple of lines that I think go right to the heart of what we've just been talking about. I want to say this, it's never what we do that matters, but rather how we do it. The secret ingredient isn't ambition, but love. We make a gift of our lives, of ourselves, in simple ways, by being kind, by being compassionate, by paying attention, 
by being useful in whatever way we can, wherever we happen to be, in whatever time we have. So that's the ending of just one of the pieces. Mm, Well, that's beautiful. We both have tears in our eyes and... Uh, you are, you just touched so many moms throughout your writing and motherhood career and continue to. So thank you for that. I don't want to sound like an obsessed fan, but I kind of am. <laughs> um, I it was I when I received your book, uh, your newest one. It really was like Christmas morning to me, and I've been kind of counting down the days to be able to talk with you. So just thank you for being such a mentor. Yes. Thank you for giving me the chance to just hang out this afternoon and talk with you too. It's just been so nice. Yes. Well, we're going to refill on coffee and we'll see you in a little bit. (laughs) Thanks, Katrina, Katrina. so much. Okay, bye-bye. Uh, I hope that you love that episode as much as I do. To learn more about Katrina, visit her website, katrinakennison.com. And if you want to see what I'm up to these days, go to afreespiritlife.com. I have a new giveaway on my website. It's a brand new free guided meditation. If you'd like to get that, visit there. You can also see my new intuitive awakening sessions and all that good stuff about retreats and whatever else I'm up to. So be well, my friends. Thanks so much for listening, and I will see you next time.